What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 132 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to don't be a jerk. Don't Let me answer your question first. I'm not answering your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talk about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. And you can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, follow up on last week's episode, and then discuss a number of news stories that have piqued our interest, including the thrilling conclusion to the PETA monkey selfie lawsuit, the disturbing claim that Illinois police will euthanize their drug dogs if marijuana becomes legal, and the most recent promotion of problematic celebrities gone vegan. Mouthful, Paul, but we got so much to talk about this week. Really pushing those run-on sentences. <laughs> I like to test your limits. But before that, we got a couple announcements to make. Yeah, so the big announcement, Paul, is that we have booked yet another live podcast episode. This time, it's going to be at Chicago Vegan Mania, which is, of course, in the great city of Chicago. Chicago Vegan Mania is an awesome event. A few beardos came out and saw me speak on a panel there last year, and that was a lot of fun. But, of course, it was missing Paul Steller. So (laughs) I'm so excited to actually bring the podcast there. And what is super exciting about this particular live episode is that it's going to be another collaboration episode with Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack. So this is going to be our first time doing a live thing all together. This actually, Paul, this will be your first time meeting Kelly and Nicole in person, in fact. And also my first time in Chicago. A lot of firsts for me. Yeah, so I don't know. This is going to be, I think it's going to be a really awesome time. I am so excited for this. I'm so excited that Vegan Mania is bringing us, our two podcasts together for this. So definitely don't want to miss that. It is, it is free to enter with a $5 suggested donation, and we'll keep people updated on times and potential show topics and all that good stuff as we get closer. But just want to let everyone know now because it is officially carved in stone that this is happening. I'm stoked. I'm stoked for it, Andy. And yeah. and also, don't forget, we also have two other live podcast events coming up. July 14th at the Atlantic City Vegan Food Fest and also November 10th at the Atlanta Veg Fest. Also never been to Atlanta. So there we go. Nice, nice. And uh, I don't know, we're, we're hoping to add a few more this year. So we shall see. But would love to see any of all the beardos that are within a reasonable driving distance from those locations to come out and say hi and, and make us not feel so alone in the world. Andy, what's your reasonable driving distance? (laughs) My reasonable driving distance is six hours. (laughs) (laughs) Like maybe eight at the most. But to me, six hours, I'm like, yeah, that's nothing. But anything above six. So if you are within a six or eight hour radius of these events, we expect you to be there. Yeah. So that covers actually a pretty good portion of the East Coast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's move on into the food. Andy, what have you been eating? Oh, well, I did a little trip to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, got together with friend of the show, Jamie Kay, who people might remember from our bonus episode that was all about fat shaming in the vegan community. And Jamie, one, brought me to vegan treats, obviously, but also took me to this place that's only been open for about a year, I believe, called Santoro's. 
and it is like kind of a little hot dog and chili restaurant. It's very small. There's a few stools inside, two tables sitting outside, and the entire menu can be made vegan. Ooh. Yeah. So the specific reason why I was brought here is because they make a bon mi hot dog. <laughs> that sounds right down your alley. I was like, oh, these are two of my favorite foods combined into <laughs> one delicious meal. Is this heaven? And it's a hot dog. They use field roast hot dogs, which I'm a huge fan of. And it has the pickled veggies on it. They do sort of this, uh, I think, sriracha or some sort of spicy aioli. And normally they put cilantro, but I told them to leave that vile weed off of my <laughs> hot dog. Oh, I have boy. to say, it was it was really good. I, I thought it was so delicious. Love the toppings. And then also got one of their specials. I forget the name, but it had mac and cheese. It had seitan bacon, and it had a pickle spear on it. Also, also super delicious. And also, something that's really cool about this place, everything on the menu, from what I could recall, was $4.50 or less. Wow. Like it was all like very cheap. So I know some sometimes you go to get like a hot dog covered in toppings and it's eight, nine, ten dollars. And this was such an affordable place. It's very unassuming restaurant. And I have to say, this will probably be my new go to savory food place in Bethlehem. You know, I, I feel like I've they must others must be out there, but I feel like I've never heard of a restaurant where you can get anything made vegan, which is certainly very convenient. Obviously, I'd rather just have every restaurant be vegan everywhere, but it, it definitely makes it convenient for vegans. I, I wonder how that plays out with non-vegans, like if that encourages them to eat the vegan food or if they would just be like, oh, well, why would I ever eat this? So I don't know how that plays out in that. We've had, I feel like, multiple episodes at this point discussing the merits of that, but it certainly is, a, a, I, I feel like, unique. I haven't seen anything like that. Yeah, I think I've only ever been to one other restaurant where they basically just had a menu and said, you can get this vegan or not vegan. And it was in Vegas. I want to say it was like Red Velvet Cafe or something. I have not been there in, in many, many years. And yeah, I, well, I, so I walked in and I was kind of, I grabbed a menu and I was looking for the, the V sign or some something and there, there wasn't anything. So I was like, oh, I guess there isn't that many options here. And then, then I learned, oh no, anything you get can be made vegan. So yeah, I do, I do wonder if it's not immediately obvious that that is the, the option that you can choose vegan or not vegan, how many people that are not vegan are, are even going to notice that, but According to the owners, apparently 50% of the food they sell is vegan. That's like half their that's clientele cool. is people picking up that vegan food. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And actually, Paul, while, while sitting outside of, of vegan treats and shooting the shit, uh, someone came up and said, excuse me, are you Andy from the Bearded Vegans? <laughs> <laughs> Which is always an interesting occurrence. But yeah, it got to meet Andrew outside of Vegan Treats, who sent us also a very thoughtful email afterwards. So thank you for saying hi, Andrew. I'm sorry I didn't have button and sticker for you. And then also last weekend, I did the Cleveland Veg Fest and met a couple of beardos there. So I just want to give a shout out to Becky, Shirley, Carla, Hillman, and another Andy. Ooh, two Andys. <laughs> two Andys. <laughs> so, Paul, mm -hmm. you, had a, you had a little visit from, from Ken and Linda this weekend, didn't you? Yes. So my parents came down to Philadelphia to visit me to hang out. And we did other stuff, too. We did, we did non-food related stuff. But I feel like... What non-food related <laughs> stuff? We actually Please. went to this really cool museum, but t t like what I was most concerned about 
when I was planning their visit was I was like, all right, I need to take them to the best places. Because I, I, there are so many vegan possibilities in Philadelphia. I need to figure out what the best this might be the only time they visit me in Philly. So it's like, what's the best representation of vegan food in Philadelphia? And so when they first arrived, it was about lunchtime. I took them to the Tasty. And so this is not yet a a regular menu item. And I've only had it one other time. But their special was the Eggs Benedict. And I was so happy that they had it. Because the last time that I had it, probably over a year ago, it was the best thing that I've ever had from the Tasty. And probably one of the best dishes I've had in Philadelphia. And they had it last weekend so i my parents and i both got it we ordered we had two orders of it and it was so so good i, I don't know what they use for these little this like ham it's just like a deli slice of ham that's on there and it might be maywa but it's 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 not anything that i've seen in like whole foods or or any of like those sorts of supermarkets so props props out to that but Props out to that. I don't know if that's a if that's a phrase. That's but. not a phrase at all. Paul. <laughs> I'm keeping it in. Props out to that. St- get it. Get it trending. Props Put out to that. Put that on a T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Put that on your gravestone. <laughs> and then for dinner that night, we went to. We had to go to V Street. Tried to make reservations. It was already booked up. We took a gamble and went anyways, and were able to get a seat. And thank goodness because V Street just continuously knocks it out of the park. Andy just gave me a chef kiss. And it is, I would give it multiple chef kisses. I've, I of course got the Dan Dan noodles, the spicy Dan Dan noodles. I kept telling my parents and then the other, a couple friends we were with, I kept being like, all right, just to warn you, it's, it's really spicy. So like, if you don't like spice, really spicy food, probably don't get it. And I got it. And, and one of my friends also got it. And I don't know if they maybe dialed back the spice or maybe I had just, imagined it in my head from thinking about the last time I had it over a year ago that it was too spicy but Andy I feel like I got it with you that was the last time and Mm -hmm. I remember sweating when eating it (laughs) well yeah my experience with with V Street was that they they warned us when we ordered it like our server warned us and said just so you know that's really spicy and we said okay and then they brought out an an earlier dish that we had ordered and that dish was very spicy and I was like (laughs) Oh no, they didn't they didn't warn us about this dish. How spicy is the Dan Dan noodles? And it was it wasn't above my tolerance level, but it was it was like at that level where it was still enjoyable, but it was it was a bit of work to get it down. So yeah, I remember it being quite spicy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they maybe maybe they dialed it down. I don't know. They were tired of having to warn people about how spicy it was every <laughs> single time. But it was God, it was so good. I haven't had it in so long. So that was V Street. And then in the morning, the next morning, I brought my parents to PS and Co, which is kind of like a breakfast lunchy type vegan place. And it's one of those places where, you know, it's like gluten free and everything's organic. And one of the, this I find this really cool is that they make everything there. So there's like cashew cheese that they make there and and it's it's nice to to go someplace and while I do love getting served, you know, like Gardein products or something like that because they can make them places can make them a lot better than I can it's nice to go to a place and get something that's like just this is the only place I can get that um so that was PS and Co and and overall at when my when my parents were leaving Philadelphia they they turned to me and they said Paul I think this was the best weekend of food we've ever had in our <laughs> lives and I was like yes and neither of them are vegan my dad's vegetarian but neither are vegan and it was very encouraging to hear. And I'm glad that that vegan Philadelphia came through for me. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if I was to choose a city to take someone that wasn't vegan and sort of bring them around to a number of places, on the East Coast, it would probably be Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. So Philly, doing it up, doing, doing it up. It up. Pro- props to that. <laughs> Is that what I said? Props I to that. Props on that. <laughs> props on that. <laughs> All right. Let's get into this follow-up. So last week, our main discussion was the the ethics of giving money to a crying child so that they could buy non-vegan ice cream. We had a good discussion on that. And at the end of the episode, we admitted that there are situations such as being a parent that we don't have any expertise on. We don't have any personal experience on. So we we put it out to the Beardos to email or message us in and let us know if they've had those sorts of experiences and how they navigate those situations because everyone has different situations. And a, a, a bunch of people responded to us, which is awesome. So we're going to read a, a couple of those responses. Yeah. Paul, I don't, I don't think we've ever gotten so many responses to an episode as the episode that we did last week. I, I think you might be right. And I think it makes sense because, again, I, I feel like most of our topics that we talk about, they're not black and white. But I feel like this one especially, there's a lot of there's a lot of gray area going on here. So I think it leaves room for a lot of people to have to feel differently about these sorts of issues. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, we got so many thoughtful, long emails of people explaining sort of their life situations and how they navigate it. And I think those will probably come in a future episode. Maybe we'll talk about those specifics a little bit more. But some of these that we're going to read right now are just sort of addressing certain aspects that perhaps we did not cover in our discussion. So the first one that I wanted to bring up was a comment from Sarah on Facebook that said, just to split hairs, she didn't buy ice cream for the child. She gave the child money, which could have been used for a popsicle or a sorbet or a toy. The child chose the ice cream. And so this is true, Paul. Like As we promoted the episode, the, our question, our sort of show topic was, is it okay to buy or you know purchase non-vegan ice cream for a crying child? Which obviously like this very <laughs> almost clickbaity, very emotionally charged <laughs> phrase, right? But But – that is kind of how we chose to phrase it was that she, this woman was buying ice cream for this child. And so I guess I want to ask you, uh, Sarah is totally correct. The money was given to the child. The child then made the choice. S- do you think that, that there's a difference in that? Because uh, we talked about, you know, what what does it mean to give someone money that's like asking for money on the street and they go off and do it. And this is an instance where I think that, the woman knew specifically what that money was going to be used for. But do you think that there is a difference between like going and buying that ice cream and handing it to the child versus giving the child money and they buy the ice cream? I think it, I I think there is a difference, but I think it's in this scenario, it's a very, very small difference. And when we're talking about these sorts of situations, like giving someone money and, and maybe not knowing what they're going to do with it, I feel like there's maybe a spectrum of, you know what they are going to do with that money. And in this case, I feel like it's pretty it's pretty far on one side of the spectrum of like this child is going to get that ice cream. There's you can be pretty, 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 pretty certain, pretty, pretty certain. And <laughs> and and I think that because you can be fairly certain in this situation what was going to happen with it. I don't think personally, I don't think that would be an excuse that I would tell to myself that I would feel comfortable telling to myself being like me giving the child money 
I wouldn't try to convince myself that like, oh, well, they're probably going to buy something vegan with it when I know. <laughs> but but I think there are other situations where it's probably less clear. And I think a lot of people, myself included in those situations, might be like, well, I, I hope that they're going to do this thing with the money. But in this case, I think it was pretty clear. Yeah. And, it, you know, Paul, I think that for me, one of the things about it that complicates this whole situation is the fact that this person then went and posted about it on on yeah. Twitter. I know we got it that a little bit in our main discussion, but there is something about the sort of the the I don't want to say flaunting because I don't want to I don't want to denigrate someone that's like doing a good thing for someone and then promoting it because again, I think that ultimately that hopefully leads to more people doing good things for others when they see that as an example has been set. But there is something, I don't know, something about it feels different to me because it's someone saying, like, promoting the consumption of these animal products versus just quietly doing good deed and letting it, you know, speak, you know, in and of itself. No, I, I definitely agree. I think that, you know, in, in these sorts of in these sorts of situations, I guess it ultimately doesn't matter Maybe it does, but I feel like it probably doesn't matter to the, for instance, to the crying child. The the kid doesn't care about whether or not this person then goes about posting about this situation on social media to get a bunch of praise. Like the the outcome for the child is still the same. So I guess maybe it maybe it doesn't matter, but it definitely it like we kind of expressed last time. It does feel like you get like a weird feeling when you're like, is this person just doing this to get? likes or are they are they genuinely doing this and i'm not saying for this specific instance but just in in general and but ultimately i guess does that matter because the outcome is still the same it's still having a positive effect on the person who got the thing yeah i guess i feel like it's it's more a promotion of the consumption of animals than if the deed was not posted about Uh, i agree yeah sorry i lost track of what (laughs) <laughs> why you brought this up but i do classic agree with paul. that the classic paul i do agree <laughs> with that though that it it if this had been done and not been made a big deal of that would have been it although i like i don't know if this had as much to do with the promotion of dairy as it did with the maybe some people having a more negative view on vegans like i don't yeah. think people are going to be like see this and then as a reaction say like i'm gonna just go out and buy every (laughs) single ice cream for every single kid ever you know yeah i mean i guess i guess it feels more like it's like a a stamp of approval of purchasing dairy as opposed to someone that's like you know this situation isn't ideal but i feel like it's it's better to purchase ice cream for this child than not right now yeah so, I, feel you. I feel you. Yeah, and I guess I guess for the record, because some some of the comments and emails we got seemed to be unclear. Maybe they're from people that didn't actually listen, but we totally think that the 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 guy that caused a big stink about this is one hundred percent in the wrong. Yeah, yeah. So real jerk. Just putting that out there that we don't think <laughs> that was cool at all, but we did think that the the questions that it raises are are important to talk about. All right. Yeah. Next email coming in from Janet, who said, and th- this is almost besides the point, but I think it, it's important to maybe talk about this because this isn't really so much about the ethics of, of like veganism, but it is about like maybe there's a reason why this child doesn't have ice cream. So Janet emails in that the, the child's parents or caretakers 
might have chosen not to give the child money for an ice cream for a number of reasons, which include they are vegan and do not want their child to consume a dairy product. The child is diabetic and needs to have all of their carbohydrate intake controlled and monitored. The child has a dairy or lactose intolerance. Maybe it's a punishment as some sort of inappropriate behavior for the child earlier. Uh, or maybe the parents have just decided the child has had enough sugar for the rest of the day. You know, I'm surprised we didn't. <laughs> I don't think we mentioned any of those things last time. Yes, because I think it's a little bit beside the point. But it is it is relevant in like the larger picture of should you just purchase things for children on the street, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so funny. Thank you, Janet, for emailing that in because... I'm so surprised that we did not think, of, or at least yeah. I didn't think of any of that. Like, I mean, honestly, what if what if that child is a vegan child and and they're dealing with the the hardship of being in a, a non-vegan world and not fitting in with their friends, and then some stranger just sort of comes in and like violates the ethics that the parents are trying to set down? Yeah, you know, I feel like that's maybe an unlikely situation, but it is something to consider. Yeah, but and 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 just in general, you know, I feel like a a, a child, ch- children often get very upset about things that are not, you know, big the biggest of deals, and th- this like may have been such a small thing that this child was crying about, which maybe it could have been a really big thing, and maybe it could have you know like made the kid's day and and turned things around for the kid. Who knows? But. Like it, it could have just been the smallest thing, in which case it really would not have been a big deal. Kids, kids cry all the time. Paul, I didn't realize you're such an insensitive monster. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is what like echoing what Janet said, which was like maybe the kid did something really bad. And then the, and then the, the parent was like, no, you're not going to get ice cream. And now the kid's crying. And now this this person just reinforced the bad behavior that this kid was doing. Like, oh, when I do this bad thing. I can get ice cream as long as I cry about it. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. There, there's obviously so much about this situation that we do not know. But, I, yeah, I can't believe we didn't mention any of those aspects at all. So, thank you, Janet. And then the last one we're going to read is Bryce emailed in. This is kind of a, a classic Bearded Vegans. I'm sure you're getting flooded with emails, but just wanted to express that I think episode 131, quote, boils down to don't be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely said, Bryce. I, I think that's I think that's it. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. Could have had a much shorter episode. <laughs> All right, let's move on into news, Paul. We got a lot of news, a lot of really interesting things, some of which, you know, could be considered follow-up because we've talked about so much of this stuff before, but I'm putting it in the news decisively. So the first one is this article from Uproxx, which came out on May 7th of 2018, and it says, The selfie monkey and his photographer are getting a biopic. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so we've, uh, we've definitely talked about this before, which is this situation in which uh, photographer David Slater had set up a camera somewhere that monkeys are in the wild and and like sort of left it for a monkey to come up and and take pictures potentially and a monkey did just that and came up and took a selfie it's this classic iconic image beautiful green background this this monkey who has since been named naruto smiling into the camera and PETA made this big stink about that and essentially said that that David Slater should not be able to profit off of that because it is the product of the monkey's labor. 
And so, so that's the background, and let me read a little bit from this article. Thus began a bizarre seven-year journey for Slater, which ended last month with the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals refusing to let Slater and PETA settle the case so that it could rule in Slater's favor. Which is pretty interesting. I didn't know that, I, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of the legal system, Paul, but I didn't realize that two parties could agree to settle and a court could be like, mm, no, <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to let you do that. Uh, and specifically because they wanted to rule in Slater's favor, which would yeah. obviously be worse for PETA. So I do think that this next sentence made me laugh. Yeah. Resulting in a bizarre spectacle of three judges trying to each dunk on PETA the hardest <laughs> for basically wasting seven years and thousands of dollars pretending they had the right to sue on behalf of a monkey, which they didn't. And so, yeah, so it's in, it's in this article, it's been announced that, that like, a biopic is going to happen. And actually, I feel like that that would be a really interesting to review, assuming this, this, this film comes to light. But they were talking about the rights have been acquired, and it's going to happen, supposedly. But, Paul, I mean, there's, there's no way that PETA is going to come out looking favorably in a film about this whole situation. Yeah. And probably there's no way that veganism is going to look favorable coming out of this film. Definitely not. Is is the biopic about? It's like about the lawsuit. I, I we don't know. I guess that's 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 kind of up in the air. But I'm assuming that's sort of the most interesting thing about this whole situation. But is it that interesting? <laughs> I don't know. I picture Slater's going to get played by like James Franco or something. And yeah, <laughs> I don't know. But it's it's just such a such a weird turn of events for this whole thing. But so I did a, a little more digging to to learn about what it what entailed the judges quote dunking on <laughs> meant. And so I found this article over at The Verge, which was talking about this ruling when it first came out, and it talked a, a lot about why this this whole thing didn't actually go through. And uh, there was a lawsuit called Cetacean v. Bush. In citation, a, quote, self-appointed attorney for all the world's whales, porpoises, and dolphins sued the government over the Navy's use of sonar. And ultimately, the case was ruled that animals can't sue unless Congress makes it clear in the statute that animals can sue. So unless there's, like, specific wording that's like, oh, by the way, also animals can sue, it's saying that animals can't sue. And so to read a little bit from this article like how PETA tried to circumvent this 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 uh, precedent that had been set. PETA originally brought the lawsuit as a, quote, next friend, where a very young child or someone in prison might be too incompetent or unavailable to sue. In cases like that, the law allows a third party to sue on their behalf as a next friend, provided, of course, there's a suitably close relationship. All three judges agreed that animals in general can't be represented by next friends, but Smith wanted to go further and say PETA's lack of friend status should automatically throw the lawsuit out of court. And that's one of the judges. And so the article kind of points out that, you know, essentially, you know, when these rulings happen, opinions are written as, as to sort of just cement what happened and, and how the judges feel about it. And it's like, OK, setting this specific precedent uh, it should take about three paragraphs, but apparently it, there was 15 and 20 pages written by, <laughs> by like the various judges sort of railing against PETA. And they all kind of use it as an opportunity to say that the uh, Cetacean v. Bush didn't go far enough. Like they wanted to explicitly ban 
things like this from happening in the future. So it feels like what PETA did, like they're, they're almost trying to get to like the end game of establishing like animals as individual persons without like going through all that legwork, like just jumping right to the lawsuits. And I have a feeling, Paul, that this is not going to be good for those that are trying to do the sort of the middle part of that process. Yeah. I like I even though I, I yeah, I agree with that. And it stinks because I I really do feel like this is going to have a negative effect on, like you said, people who are trying to do this work. And but even beyond that, it's just like it does just seem like seven years of wasted money of doing these lawsuits for this, like really it, it it seems like if that's, if that's what they were trying to do when they brought this up in the first place, if that's what they were trying to do, which was set a precedent that animals can sue or animals can be represented like that. It does not seem like this was the appropriate case to use for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I feel like anyone who donates to PETA should be really pissed off that their money was wasted like this. Yeah. You know, and it's not that this doesn't like raise important or interesting questions about animal rights and can an animal own a copyright and all of these things that it does bring up. But it feels like it's the type of thing that in the eyes of the public is so clearly ridiculous that it has very little chance of passing. And, you know, that's that's PETA's style. They do things that are controversial because they know that like the specific thing that they're doing, like telling Warhammer 40,000 that they shouldn't have plastic fur on their little plastic figurines. They know that that's ridiculous. They know they're not going to get Warhammer 40,000 to change their ways, but they know that by making the stink and getting people to say that's ridiculous, that they might end up reading the article on PETA's website and then thus be exposed to videos about uh, animal agriculture or animal use. And that's like sort of their end game. And I don't, like that strategy whatsoever but i'm like okay maybe in some instances that could be useful i'm not saying that any way that PETA has done it is that way but this feels like an especially bad version of that tactic well especially because i feel like we talked about this one time on the show and then it has pretty much flown under the radar ever since at least i have not seen anything about this to be honest i completely forgot that this was a thing and so it's like if that's their tactic to just be doing these things just to get media attention, it's like, yes, it got media attention in the first place, but then they kept it going for seven years later of just like throwing money into this thing that's really not getting any attention until right now where the all the articles are going to be like, look how spectacularly they got dunked on. <laughs> Yeah. And to be fair, I think there was some coverage over the years. I remember, I think it was This American Life even did a little profile of this whole thing. But yeah, it just it just feels like a huge waste of money. So, But speaking of the people that are sort of doing the, the middle section of that work, we got some news about uh, our friend Stephen Wise of the Non-Human Rights Project. Paul. Mm-hmm. You remember way back in episode 51, we reviewed a film called Unlocking the Cage? I do. Yeah. So <laughs> that was all about Stephen Wise and the Non-Human Rights Project and them them working to essentially establish legal personhood for some chimpanzees. And I was like, 
in preparation for for this episode, I was thinking, I wonder what we thought of that episode. So I, so I went back and listened to the first 15, 20 minutes or so of it just to get a general idea of if we enjoyed that episode or not. And turns out we, we very much enjoyed that film, and it seemed to be one that we would recommend to people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you also remember our viewing experience seeing that film, Paul? <laughs> I remember. You just posted that clip on our Instagram story, and that reminded me of it. <laughs> yeah, so we had a very disruptive theater. Paul and I actually saw it together, and we had a very disruptive theater, and I posted a little clip of us talking about this this like metal clanging noise that someone was making. <laughs> but, Paul, something I didn't post, this is actually a time that I told people to shut up in the theater. Oh yeah, that's right. That. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I think that was a really fun episode. Is we were recording it together in person, which I think as always makes for a fun time. So go back to episode fifty-one and check out that review, and then then watch that film. I think you were more polite about it than than, than yeah, you just no, made no, it. No. Seem- I described it as me saying, "Hey, could you stop talking?" And then the guy <laughs> went, "Okay, yeah." And then the guy stopped, but then his movie viewing partner did not. But you could tell the guy was like. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> watching us. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> all of that aside, so so Stephen Wise had, had been working this for, for quite some time, and it got shut down. And so this article is from May 9th. Appeals court denies animal rights groups push to win chimps freedom. This is from the New York Daily News. Uh, to read a little bit from this article. The Court of Appeals on Tuesday refused to hear the appeal of an animal rights group that was trying to win habeas corpus rights and ultimately freedom for a pair of chimps named Tommy and Kiko. And so, yeah, the the case originally happened in 2017, which is when we did talk about it. And the case was ruled that chimpanzees don't have the same legal rights as human beings and the, the sort of the habeas corpus is establishing personhood. And what is interesting about this, Paul, is that unlike the the selfie monkey case in which the judges took the opportunity to dunk upon PETA, one uh, like all five judges, it was, it was like a five to zero vote. All five judges voted that this case should not be heard again. But Court of Appeals Judge Eugene Fahey wrote in a concurring opinion, which means he voted to not bring this to trial. So he's, he's writing his opinion on that. But it's interesting because it's clear that he has some real reservations about that. So this article had a quote from Eugene that said, The inadequacy of the law as a vehicle to address some of the most difficult ethical dilemmas is on display in this matter. While it may be arguable that chimpanzee is not a person, there's no doubt that it is not merely a thing. Hmm. So that's that's pretty interesting. And I went looking for, for like the complete statement, which I wasn't able to easily find. But I did find another article from TBO.com, which said a judge just raised some deep questions about chimpanzees' legal rights. And I was able to sort of cobble together various statements that were pulled for this article. And so they're all put together here. I don't know if this is how they appear in the order in this this statement that was made, but I'm going to read it. Does an intelligent non-human animal who thinks and plans and appreciates life as human beings do have the right to the protection of the law against arbitrary cruelties and enforced detentions visited on him or her? This is not merely a definitional question, but a deep dilemma of ethics and policy that demands our attention. That a chimpanzee cannot be considered a person and is not entitled to habeas relief is in fact based on nothing more than the premise that a chimpanzee is not a member of the human species. 
In elevating our species, we should not lower the status of other highly intelligent species. We got a little vegan in the making here. Yeah, I've like it, it, and so reading that, it's almost surprising that this judge voted against hearing the case. Well, I, I guess it makes sense because it seems like the judge still doesn't believe in the personhood. It, it's it sounds like the to me it sounds like the judge is kind of like I'm going to deny specifically what you're requesting, but I think they're saying like it's not all or nothing there should be some in between that that this judge believes that that that, like that's where this issue lies in this in between that has not legally been established yet yeah yeah so i think that's kind of promising i don't know i'm assuming that this this statement could potentially be used in in future court cases yeah I don't but, know how I that mean, works. I, I, don't, but... I don't really know. I don't really know. But I guess it does. It does bring me some sort of optimism because this this judge is able to, uh, you know, think critically about this. And yeah, it does seem like they're kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't believe an animal is a person, but clearly they should have some sort of rights and some sort of moral consideration. And and like maybe this means that the tactic should be to shoot for that to be established rather than the personhood. But then at some point, I feel like what I feel like Stephen Wise was trying to do was get to this get to this end goal, and he was taking the in between steps, and and maybe instead targeting towards that kind of like middle compromise that this judge seemed to be alluding to. Would that be if if Stephen Wise then? was trying to get that would that be too much of like too small of steps i don't know like i I wonder if that's something that he would consider aiming towards instead of personhood yeah i don't know i I think the fact that there's sort of like a legal term you know regarding personhood and that seems like there's there's established legal framework and, and and precedent set before that talks about those things that that makes it an easier avenue than trying to establish this this whole new like s- definition of certain animals and trying to describe which animals get included in it and which don't. Yeah. So that's probably like a bigger uphill battle and obviously True. the one that that he's currently <laughs> going after is already very much an uphill battle, so maybe yeah. that's why it seems more appealing. No no legal pun intended. It would be a bi- appealing, appealing. It would be a, it would be a bigger uphill battle, and it would have less of a impact. I feel like you know, so it it definitely seems less desirable. Yeah, so I don't know. We'll we'll keep an eye on it because this doesn't mean that this 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 is dead. It just means it's got to go up to a higher court. Which, if I recall from the film, that was kind of their strategy. They're like, we actually don't want the smaller courts to pass this because then it only like will essentially work in like a smaller like local level and if it goes up to a higher court then it has a a wider reaching effect if it does get ruled positively so Hmm. i guess we'll we'll keep an eye on that and and let you know what happens in the future i'll have to revisit that episode if if only to hear our wonderful movie theater experience (laughs) paul i gotta say movie theater etiquette gets me heated like nothing else (laughs) Do I sense a bonus, a, a Patreon bonus episode all about movie theater etiquette? That's what the people are asking for, right? <laughs> I mean, my philosophy, Paul, boils down to don't be a jerk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So this next news story, we're actually going to use a couple different articles. The first one coming to us from May 7th from theweek.com. Illinois police claim if marijuana is legalized, they'll have to kill their police dogs. And so essentially what this article is saying is that the Illinois police are claiming they will have to euthanize a, quote, number of their canine units should marijuana become legal. And let me read a little bit from that. Chad Larner, the director of Marin County's Canine Training Academy, said retraining the dogs would be, quote, extreme abuse. At this point, they're trained on five different odors, explained the normal police department's assistant police chief, Steve Petrilli, a former canine handler. Once they're programmed with that, you can't just deprogram them. The dogs are also trained against being social in order to be effective workers, which led Larner to suggest a number of canines would have to be euthanized in the event that marijuana is legalized. So this sucks. Well, here's the thing, Paul. It's clearly trying to leverage people's love of dogs in order to keep pot illegal. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's honestly it's 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 horrible and shitty and racist because i feel like it's essentially getting them to be like you care more about these dogs than like the black and brown people that are disproportionately affected by these drug sniffing dogs yeah so yeah. it's it's like it's almost trying to get people to make this choice between between dogs and like marginalized communities and it's like not that i've looked terribly deeply into this andy but i feel like framing it as if those are the two options i have a suspicion is completely false yeah and so so this article you sent it to me i think when it first came out and then when i went to revisit it to grab quotes for our for the show they had made like an editor's note because the first time when it came out it basically made it sound like we're going to have to kill all of the dogs, which is like 270, yeah. I think it was, 275, something around that, dogs. We're just going to have to kill all the dogs as soon as pot becomes legal. And then the editors note they kind of walk it back a little bit, and they say that they, they overstated the amount of dogs and changed it to what you read, which was, quote, a number of their canine unit. And, yeah, it seems like such a false choice. Like, these are the two options. Like, what happens to normal canine unit dogs when they become too old to to like fulfill their duties yeah do they do they just euthanize them right away i don't know maybe that is the case but that ca- that i have a feeling that's right. not the case yeah i mean i would i mean honestly i would they have to become attached to these dogs right or is it just are they just like an annoying coworker? like i feel <laughs> like the people that work with these canine dogs must become very close with them right and and I feel like that's also true because, you know, you'll occasionally see like a Facebook viral video that's like, look at this, this canine's funeral. Like they have like legit funerals for the canine dogs or, and stuff like that. So yeah. th- there's I, I feel like it would be even just the the police officers who handle the dogs. I feel like they alone would put up enough of a stink to prevent this from happening, you know? Well, it, but perhaps not out of interest in the dog, but perhaps out of interest for their own jobs. What do you mean? If pot becomes legal, then mm-hmm. that means that they could potentially be out of a job. Oh, the like the specific like drug police, drug yeah. cops? <laughs> the drug cops. That's the official term for them, right? <laughs> drug cops? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I did not think about that. Well, it's not like... 
pot is the only drug that they're probably going after. Yeah, and that's the other thing that's kind of weird about this is that it's like, well, they could be used for other drugs, but they they say it's impossible to retrain them. Now, I looked into the views from a number of different like animal advocacy groups, and they all totally disagree with the assumption that that one life for these dogs would be totally miserable, and that they it'd be better off for them to be euthanized. They can't be retrained. All all of that stuff. I've seen groups offering to adopt every single one of these police dogs. So, so it's like, it's a false equivalency and it's like, they're trying to get people to say like, well, which would you rather, would you rather keep the dogs alive? Would you rather make pot legal? And it's just, it's like a false, it's like not a debate that we need to engage in whatsoever. We don't need to say whose lives do we value more because it's just a total false equivalency and it's just a a mask to attempt to keep certain drugs illegal. Also, even if it was this choice and this is the choice that we had to make, I hate how it's being framed because and we see this with other animal issues where it's the type of thing where it's like we have we have forced animals into this situation. And now, like the, I'll, I'll even say they like the the police department or whoever has established this canine unit, they have forced these dogs into this situation, into being like this. And now they're trying to make us feel bad for like, well, this is this is how it is. Like, well, this is just how it is. And and now you're going to you want to change like you want to kill all these dogs. It's like, no, you put them in this situation. So like you take responsibility for this. Don't make don't make us feel bad about the things that you did. And again, I think more generally, I feel like that argument is used sometimes for to to go either against veganism or pro eating meat it's like well look at like there's all these there's all these chickens and if we didn't eat them they would all just die it's like yes it's like that because we made it like that so that that shouldn't be an argument to continue doing something yeah and it's also it's also this this argument that we see that's essentially saying that we have to keep doing like we have to keep jobs that are that are outdated Mm-hmm. when when there's like no reason to but you know it's like i'm trying to remember what the episode was that we were talking about this but it was the one where we talked about the universal basic income yeah and i don't remember what the main discussion was though neither do i but i do remember you talking about that article that was essentially saying that you know the the vast majority of jobs or like a good percentage of jobs that people are going to hold like the people in high school or like middle school are going to hold have not even been created yet yeah, and and essentially yeah. the 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 conclusion was there's no reason to continue doing something unethical just because it creates a job for someone, and I guess we were probably talking about you know what will happen to the farmers essentially. I think that yeah, that must have been what we were talking about. Yeah, and 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 yeah, that article was good because it gave examples throughout history where people were also like, oh, we can't make this change because then all these people will be out of their jobs. And then that change happened and everyone's fine. And then it's like another example. It's like, well, we can't, we can't do this in the factories because then all the factory work, like we can't have any sort of automation because then everyone's going to be out of their jobs. It's like, no, then other jobs get created because of these things. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's, there's no reason to continue keeping these dogs around. And they, like I said, they're, they're used to oppress marginalized communities. And they're also apparently not very effective. We'll get into that in a second. But th- there's, like, no reason to keep them around. And also there's no reason that they have to get euthanized as well. So the, the whole thing's ridiculous. It seems super racist to me. It seems like really, like, leveraging 
certain people to say, well, I would rather keep these dogs alive so they can continue to be used as a tool to oppress, you know, black and brown people. So, so that sucks. But uh, so I was kind of just looking into this and I found an article from the Washington post from May 8th, which said, Illinois police keep pot illegal or we'll kill the dog. And the author rightfully points out uh, pot is legal in nine states so far. And at one point it was not legal in those states and those states had drug dogs and there was no mass euthanization of these dogs. So, so one, there's no, like, why would we assume that since nine other states could pull this off that all of a sudden like Illinois, like can't figure this out. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I, 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 when, after I read the first article, that point wasn't even something that I had thought of that this is already this is already going on and and like what are these states or what are these counties doing that that Illinois couldn't also do yeah and it's like you're telling me we can't find homes for 270 dogs yeah like come on come on all right anyway come on the, come on so this article I actually thought was really interesting I posted it to our Facebook the other day and it's like a really thorough breakdown of of one how it's ridiculous that they would say they have to euthanize these dogs but two just how like ineffective they are anyway so so it's almost like us saying that they need to stay around to continue to do a job that's unethical it, it's it's almost like not even an argument cuz they're not those those damn dogs Paul are not even that good at their jobs so <laughs> I'm just going to read a little bit from this article In 2011, the Chicago Tribune published a review of drug dog searches conducted over three years by police departments in the Chicago suburbs. Just 44% of dog alerts led to discovery of actual contraband. For Hispanic drivers, the success rate dipped to 27%. The following year, I obtained the records of an Illinois state police drug dog for an 11-month period in 2007 and 2008. In nearly 30% of cases where the dog alerted, no drugs at all were found. In 75% of cases, the dog alerted either to no drugs or what police officers later described as residue, which basically means no measurable quantity of a drug and not a significant enough to merit criminal charges. Only 10% of the alerts resulted in a seizure of a large enough quantity of drugs to charge someone with a felony. The dog's high error rates often make them no more accurate than a coin flip. That's interesting. I did not realize that it was so low. Yeah. Like, that's abysmal. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's, you know, and so the article kind of talks about how, like, really what the dogs are used for is they're they're better at sort of determining a hunch that an officer already has. Mm -hmm. But also, I feel... I don't know. This is just my intuition. I feel like the dogs can also be trained to give an alert, even if they haven't actually sniffed something and that the officers can then use that as probable cause to search a car. And so that they, I would guess that they disproportionately use it against minority communities to, to do a search of their vehicles. And essentially it's like probable cause on a leash is what the the article points out. Mm. So it feels like these dogs are one, not very useful and are, are being misused as well. So from what the statistics, from what the percentages that you just read, because it, it seems like, it seems like the dogs are alerting, the dogs are alerting officers when there is nothing. I don't think there's, it doesn't, the statistics don't make it seem like the dogs don't alert when there is something. So I think that that does give credit 
to what it, it does give some evidence to what you were just pointing out, Andy, which is like the dogs are making errors, but are the errors mostly they alert when there's nothing actually there, thus giving like the, you know, probable cause to, to search or whatever versus versus if the dog was ineffective in the opposite way, which is like there are always drugs, but the dog just never picks them up, you yeah. know? Yeah, and apparently this article talks about how the dogs could be trained to alert only when there's a significant quantity of drugs and not just, like, residue. Yeah. But the, the police are like, we'd rather have them on the side of caution and alerting for just the smallest amount, you know. But I, I think really they just use these dogs as an excuse to search people where they don't have probable cause otherwise because, yeah. hey, maybe they will find something, and if they don't, then no harm, no foul on their end is what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. So, I mean, I don't know, it bums me out to no end that these, these animals are being used as an oppressive tool of the state, Paul. And so I think that this program should end. I think these dogs need to get adopted out and pot should be legal. Yeah. Definitive yeah. statement. It, it's like at this point in, in 2018 as well, it just seems so excessive for, to have dogs that specifically sniff out pot. You yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it just seems like such an excessive use of force and unnecessary one. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm all for uh, taking away tools that, that police use to oppress communities. So, <sighs> so anyway, so the next time someone's like, well, which would you choose? Be like, there's not, it's not a choice that we have to make. It's a ridiculous argument. And then drop the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Paul, before we move on to this next one, we got to give a shout out to our latest Patreon donor, who is Ian C. So thank you very much, Ian, for thank you, Ian. choosing to support us on a recurring monthly basis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't know, it's been awesome. We're, we're now a few weeks into doing this whole Patreon thing, and it has been, it's been great getting the feedback from everyone. It's really cool communicating with people on there. And now that we've had a few months sort of stack up, we, you know, one of our main goals was to sort of get some new equipment and we were able to purchase a new microphone for Paul. Yes. Yes. It is much smaller and I am able to like carry it around places and not have this massive setup everywhere I go. So traveling with that was not super easy before, but got this nice new small mic. Small mic. Yeah. And we still want to set up for sort of a nicer situation for when we do get together in person and and stop borrowing from (laughs) the commentist, which requires Paul driving several states in order to go pick up (laughs) equipment. So we're still working on that. But definitely Paul's your situation has improved greatly. It has. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate I appreciate everyone donating. Yeah. And also, you know, another one of our goals was to get our episodes transcribed. And currently the rate that we're at, we're able to get one per month. And last episode, episode 131, about the old crying child in the ice cream is now forever cemented in text because that transcript is available in the show notes to that episode as well. So once again, thank you to everyone. If you want to get in on this, just head over to thebeardedvegans.com slash beardo, and that'll give you some options for a one-time or a recurring, and you can get bonus episodes, you get early access, you get merch, all that good stuff. So, so thank you again. Thank you. So let's move on into this next lovely piece. Uh, Andy, these news articles, kind of downers, kind of downers this week. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, Paul. I was looking for something like uplifting and some sort of good news, but that's not the world we live in, Paul. Life mm-hmm. is pain. Mm-hmm. Life is pain. 
Yeah, uh, this is this isn't so much a news story as it is just like a log of shit that is like floated by our our houses <laughs> <laughs> in the stream that's outside, obviously. Which which Frogger like we will hop onto and then immediately hop <laughs> off of. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I know we've talked a lot about celebrity culture and its influence on veganism and and sort of our our mainstream vegan news outlets' willingness to jump on every tiny little thing and and consider it vegan and blast, you know, Donald Glover's name out there because he bought the, the Thin Mints for someone. And so I, I kind of, I had personally vowed to stop trying to include those types of stories, but this next one, it's kind of in that ilk. But I think it raises a different set of questions because this is someone that has said, I am vegan, and the mainstream vegan news outlets have decided, yes, this is something that we need to let the world know. So Mm -hmm. two articles from Plant-Based News and one from Veg News. But uh, the first one is actually from, from February 21st, 2018. And the title is, YouTube star Logan Paul says he's gone vegan. Paul, are you are you familiar with Logan Paul? I am familiar with Logan Paul, unfortunately. Like I, although Andy and myself, we're old we're old timers. We don't like we are not of the generation that is that is most targeted by this. From my students that I that I tutor and and when I was teaching high school, like YouTube celebrities is such a huge thing right now, and and a lot of times like these little kids as young as like I have a second grade first or second grade kids that are like oh what you they'll they'll ask me like oh what youtubers do you watch so it's like this is like a big thing and they follow these youtubers and logan paul and his brother are some of the most popular on youtube yeah in fact logan paul has currently 17 million youtube followers jeez that's an unfathomable amount of people watching all of his videos andy we got into the wrong the wrong medium (laughs) Well, Paul, we know we're not too good on the camera. We are not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this article essentially says just that, that that Logan Paul has announced that he has gone vegan. And if you are unfamiliar with Logan Paul, he's 23 years old currently. Basically, from the few videos I've seen, they're all him just being a very obnoxious human being. Would you say that that's correct? (laughs) I'd say that that's correct. Like, like not even the stuff that's like outrageously offensive. The stuff is just like, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of like, like Bam Margera, like that kind of, you know, like level of just like, I'm very entitled and I can do whatever I want and I'm going to flaunt that and just be annoying to the world kind of video. A Bam Margera level of irresponsibility. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So uh, the reason why a lot of people know who he is, is because he came under fire after posting a video of a dead body of a suicide victim when he was in Japan. Mm -hmm. And so obviously that caused a lot of uproar, rightfully so. And then he, he followed it up with another video in Japan of him running around being like super disrespectful. And uh, a a video that's, that's cited by others is that there's a video of him tasering dead rats. And there's a video of him giving CPR to a dying fish and being obviously very disrespectful to animals and, and a lot of the Japan stuff, very xenophobic, very racist as well. So he's just, he's not a role model, I would say. Nope. It's safe to say. Safe Go, to say. I'm going out on a limb, Paul, and saying not a role model. <laughs> right. 
And so, okay, whatever. That that announcement flew under my radar, but then uh, a flurry of posts happened this past weekend. So May 8th, this other article from Plant-Based News came out, and the headline was, YouTuber Logan Paul is vegan for life and promises to attend animal save vigils. And so this video came about because he went to the uh, VegFest Los Angeles, which was this past weekend. And there's a there's a vegan YouTube couple, and they went up and sort of interviewed him and had a little conversation with him about it. And it was from this conversation and video that Plant Based News made this headline. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The, the the title of this article, I did watch it. The title of this article makes some assumptions that he promises to attend Animal Save Vigils. But essentially, th- this couple is sort of like trying to talk him into using his platform to promote veganism and trying to get him to come to an Animal Save Vigil in L.A. that's happening after this event. And you can tell he's kind of like hesitant and like I got, you know, I'd have to like really mentally prepare myself, and but yeah, I definitely got to experience it. Like he said, like that line, and that's the line where they say he promises to attend these animal save vigils, and you know, I don't know, it feels like they're kind of blowing it out of proportion. And so, Plant Based News posted these two articles. Veg News posted an article about this, and then uh, a lot of comments on on both of these, but also the Veg News. Said, you know, were people saying, why the hell are you promoting this guy? What, what mm-hmm. is wrong with you? This guy is a horrible scumbag and he's racist and like we don't need we don't need him on Team Vegan, essentially. And Veg News, I saw in a thread one someone that's involved with Veg News where people were sort of criticizing it at not not where it was posted, but just sort of a friend's thread. They commented and said, Oh wow, we wrote the story, we put it in the queue, but then we decided not to publish it, but I guess it didn't get taken out of the Facebook queue. We have since deleted it. And fuck Logan Paul, essentially. <laughs> so, I, you know, I guess the fact that that story even got as far as being written and put in a Facebook queue is kind of just uh, concerning to me, but so Paul, here's what mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about with this specific instance is our movement's propensity to promote very i'll say problematic people i know we've had our whole discussion about celebrities if they're good for veganism and a lot of people are saying that this is a good thing this is a great thing that he has gone vegan because he has 17 million followers and if he promotes it to 17 million followers and these are people that really look up to him and and emulate him that this is only going to be a good thing for animals so what say you about that assumption well first i i i don't know if the vegan movement like specifically seeks out problematic people to promote as much as they just latch on to anytime anyone uses a word that starts with V they'll like make a post and be like, this person is promoting veganism, blah, blah, blah. blah. And then I think that correlates. It also, there's a correlation between being a celebrity and probably maybe not doing not being a great person or not doing good things all the time. And I think that just those things combined equals us, the vegan movement promoting these celebrities that have possibly or probably done bad things in the past. Um, So I just wanted to say that first, but what was the question? (laughs) Is, is, is the fact that he is kind of a douchebag, kind of a scumbag, kind of racist is, does that matter? Is it, is it okay because he has 17 million followers and he's going to promote veganism to them now? 
in theory, he'll promote them, promote it. I definitely don't think it's okay. I think that, I think that it's basically, it's us, it's the vegan media, it's the vegan movement giving the okay for all of this other stuff. And if we are going to go under the assumption that him being so popular and now being vegan is going to promote veganism to all his followers, then we also have to accept that him being a shitty person is also going to promote being a shitty person to all his followers as well. And, you know, we can do without that. We don't we don't need that. We have plenty of people who are <laughs> we doing have plenty of shitty people on our own. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I was going to say we have plenty of good people that are also promoting veganism that are that have good ethics in non-vegan related areas as well that we can be promoting. We have enough people like I don't think that I don't think that this is the appropriate person to be promoting. And it's like I do like I will say, Andy, I will say that by promoting him as a vegan or just by maybe not even because honestly, you know, plant based news, no offense to plant based news, but I'm sure they do not have as many followers as Logan Paul does. So I don't even know if our have us having this 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 discussion, Andy, is even like not that it doesn't matter, but us deciding whether or not as a vegan movement, us deciding whether or not to promote Logan Paul probably isn't going to affect whether or not Logan Paul is popular or whether or not he continues to promote veganism. So I do acknowledge that he's probably, if he's going to do this, if he decides to do this, he'll probably continue doing it. And that will probably get some people to consider veganism. But from like a, a moral standpoint, I don't think we should be doing it. I don't think we should be promoting him. Well, Paul, I'll tell you what, you are correct. Um, just to, based off the Facebook numbers, Plant-Based News only has 333,000 people, which is a small fraction of his 17 million. And mm -hmm. I think that you have touched on a really important point here. Because I think some people that are having this debate are framing it like, what, you don't want him to be vegan? And that, that's like a bad thing. Isn't it better that he's vegan than not? To which I would agree, yes. I think it's better that every single person on this planet is vegan than not. Even the shittiest of shitty people, right? I am I am always mm -hmm. glad when someone goes vegan. Or at least starts eating plant-based food. But, like you said, Paul, if he's going to go vegan and if he's going to promote it to his followers, that's going to happen regardless of whether we as a movement give him our seal of approval and so I think that it is detrimental because for, for like as a movement for us to be promoting him and, and sort of like publicly welcoming him on board because that is giving him a pass for the other crap that he has done, which is in no way excusable whatsoever and should be condemned thoroughly by, by our entire movement, by every human on the planet. Right. <laughs> so, so the fact that, like there's no like you said there's no reason for us to promote it unless people think that they're going to benefit like the the couple that put that interview on YouTube they're going to benefit because they're putting Logan Paul's name on one of their videos and they're going to get other people to watch it that aren't their followers so so like they benefit from it but otherwise yeah we, we are not helping him but we are sending a message to the people, to like the communities that he has taken advantage of and just like essentially everyone that's offended by the horrible things he's done. 
it's okay if you do these shitty things as long as you're vegan. We will love you and accept you and, and bring you in. And so I think that there's like a difference between being like, you know, quietly to ourselves being like, all right, well, I'm glad that shitbag's vegan versus like screaming it from the rooftops and promoting it to everyone. So I guess this this raises a question for me, though. So what do we do? Like, do we just do nothing then? Because what happens what happens when inevitably at least one of his 17 million followers also decides to try being vegan and comes into the vegan movement with this like like I am here because of Logan Paul. Like how do we then what do we do? Cuz because if we say if we say no, fuck that guy, that person's probably going to be like, "Okay, well, I'm out of here. This is the reason why I'm here, so see you later." Um, I mean, I guess that's an interesting question. I mean, cuz we do that. We do that with people like Gary Orofsky where we're like, "Fuck that guy." And if yeah, someone and if someone comes into the movement because of him, I feel like we think it's our duty to let people know why we feel that way about the attitude, not just like him specifically, but like the attitude that he embodies and the type of activism that he promotes or like the type of worldview that he promotes. It's then our duty to sort of take that person under our wing and, and be like, cool, we're glad you're vegan. But just so you know, we disagree with XXX, you know, YZ, whatever. I guess we we can have these conversations without like just completely saying you're not welcome here. Like we can we can tell someone why we don't agree with the attitudes Gary Orofsky uh, is putting out or why we don't agree with the attitudes Logan Paul or th- those messages. I think we th- there is a, a, like a way to get that point across while still welcoming the person into veganism. I definitely think that that's possible. Yeah, definitely. So so I I think I may I may be framed it as a black and white thing like we're either accepting this person or not accepting this person that's that's now come into the movement because of this other influential celebrity that we don't agree with I, but it's not you know nothing nothing is black and white yeah and I guess I, I'm sort of making the assumption that the only people that will see these articles from like plant based news or veg news are other vegans but you know maybe they're sort of banking on we're gonna make this article. And then people that are vegan and follow Logan Paul and presumably have other friends who follow Logan Paul, the vegan person is going to take that and post it on their timeline. And then the non-vegan friends that are followers of Logan Paul will see that and go, oh, crap, that guy's vegan. Like, maybe there's something to it. Yeah. I think may- maybe that's one of the reasons why they-, they think that they have to promote these things. I don't know. But it- I don't know, but again, I think that a counter to that is, well, if they're followers of Logan Paul, they're going to learn that information regardless. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, something also worth pointing out is that in in these articles, he only comes at it from a, a health-centered standpoint, that essentially he said he was told that he would feel better and have, like, better quality of muscle fiber, are the specific quotes. <laughs> What a strange phrase. <laughs> well, yeah, it's better quality of muscle fiber, but... Well, then, Andy, like, isn't it maybe... I don't know. Regardless of whether or not we are promoting him, I feel like it's still a good thing that people are trying to get him to go to animal ethics-related events, right? Like, because maybe... Because, you know, if someone is, I quote shitty person as we have referred to him in this episode (laughs) like yes we don't want to promote him but 
I feel like the hope is also that he becomes a not shitty person. And I think that I would hope that maybe getting into some of the more moving into the animal ethics could open him up to maybe other ethical issues that he maybe hasn't considered either. This is, you know, this is just wishful thinking, but I think it's certainly possible. I, I, I would, I would imagine that there's maybe some, some correlation where it's like people that are vegan only for health reasons are maybe less likely to think about non other, other human rights issues rather than people who are into it for the animal ethics, maybe there is some correlation where those people are more likely to think about other human rights issues as well. I don't know if that's true or not, but my point is that, like, yes, we can sit here and say, it's easy for us to say, like, yes, we will not promote him, and then we just cannot talk about him. But if you're someone that is closer to him or you're a vegan that has access to having some sort of communication to him. I do think that trying to get him to go to those like the animal save or some other animal ethics event would be a good thing. And now this is separate from like when he does go to a, this event, I don't, I wouldn't want to see this, that like blasted all over YouTube. Like that's not the reason for trying to get him to go to the event is for the popularity, but just to improve as a human being. I think that that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's just a matter of, like you said, not blasting it all over the place. Like I'm not opposed to him being vegan. I'm glad he's vegan or at least plant-based. And I think it would be good if he got involved with other stuff. And yeah, maybe that could help, you know, help him become a better person. And if that did happen, like, cool, that's a, that's a nice thing. But again, I, I think it's a matter of us explicitly giving a seal of approval to these people publicly. Like what kind of message does that send? And I don't think it's a good message. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I mean, he's only 23. He's like very, very young. And I don't say that to say to give him an excuse for being shitty. I say that because at that age, I feel like people are more malleable in their in their views and in their ethics and stuff like that. So hopefully I'm hoping that him getting involved in this stuff at this age kind of guides him in the right direction of being a less shitty person. Yeah, and maybe I'll uh, issue a public statement <laughs> of apology for all the horrible stuff he's done. I think he has to some extent. Well, is it genuine though, Paul? Oh I, no, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speculate about that. But I, I just think I think he has done that kind of stuff to yeah. to an extent. Yeah. So I mean, I guess at the end of the day, I just I just don't want to portray this idea that going vegan means you're absolved of all the other horrible stuff that you do. And I think there's also a distinct possibility that he, this might be a calculated move on his part to try and reform his image because he did take a significant hit after posting like the suicide video and, and doing a lot of other horrible stuff, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like humane washing himself or greenwashing or whatever you want to call it. And I, and I like, honestly, if he sticks with it for a while and then decides to stop, I feel like, he is going to use that to troll vegans so hard and he's going to go he's going to go not vegan in the most spectacular way possible yeah it's yeah. possible yeah but maybe but andy if i may quote vegan for life logan paul is quote vegan for life so so you're incorrect <laughs> i i think this this also this just reminds me of this 
I don't know. We, we don't need to talk about this, but it just reminds me of this, this broader issue of celebrities where it's like, should, should people just lose their celebrity status when they do something bad? What's considered like bad enough to lose a celebrity status? Because I, I feel like ultimately, like I was saying, it's like, we want people to be better. And, and how do we get people to be better? I feel like when you're a celebrity, it is hard to change because you're being encouraged to be to do exactly the things that you're doing. And if those things are shitty, then you're being encouraged to do those shitty things. But like, how do we get people to be better? How do we get celebrities to be better? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. And I think celebrities are also more prone to just being surrounded by people that say yes to everything that they do as mm-hmm. well. So oh, definitely, they, they may not have as many people that are sort of actively pushing for them to reassess their behavior and their worldviews like people in our everyday lives might. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It is tough. All right. I think that's going to wrap up this news roundup, Paul. I'm sorry that I didn't have better news for you. Well, it was, it, I think it prompted some good discussions, although it was a little bit of a downer. Yeah. I blame you, Andy. <laughs> You know, it's funny because, uh, you know, we get a lot of people that say that, like, uh, they always look forward to Wednesday. It's their favorite day of the week is the podcast coming out. And I'm like, here's your dose of misery. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But if you have any any input on any of these issues that we've talked about today, any of these news stories, if you found a good news story, send it in to thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. That's the bearded vegans at gmail.com and of course you can always <laughs> you can always find us on the facebook or the instagram at the bearded vegans and yeah we've been getting a lot of nice messages from people and it's very encouraging so thank you very very much we definitely appreciate it absolutely and 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 i'm just gonna you know i'm just gonna i'm just gonna give you this little spoiler for next week we have a nice i feel like philosophical debate coming next week i'm gonna tease that a little bit because i'm (laughs) i'm excited to talk about this this discussion next week i I feel like occasionally there'll be an episode where andy and i get into this like philosophical stuff that we probably have no business being in this type of discussion but those episodes are some of my favorite so we got a big a big philosophy one coming at you next week so I look forward to recording that with you, Andy. Yeah, I think I'm really looking forward to that one as well. So, But for now, Andy, where can the people find you? Well, they can find us at a number of locations coming up in June, Paul. Oh, yeah. Yeah, June 2nd. Huge weekend for Compassion Company. So our good friend and Paul lookalike Josh is going to be doing the Albany Veg Fest in Albany, New York. I have sent him with some some Beard Vegans buttons and stickers. So you won't get to meet either of us, but you could still pick one up if you go there. Mm-hmm, and then, mm-hmm. Paul, you will be at the Lancaster Veg Fest, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Excited for that. And I have sent you with plenty of buttons and stickers as well. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you're good. And then June 2nd, this is all on the same day. This is like veg apocalypse right now. Uh, <laughs> I'll be at the Vegandale Food and Drink Fest in Houston, Texas. And then June 9th, Paul is going to be at the Philly Veg Fest in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. A great town to bring your non-vegan parents to. Yep, represent. Yeah, and then that whole weekend, I'll be at the Asheville Vegan Fest. So that's June 8th, 9th, and 10th. June 10th is like the big festival day, but the 8th and 9th is the like smaller day with like a lot of speakers and panels. I'll be vending at all three of those days. 
and that's in Asheville, North Carolina at the Asheville Vegan Fest. June 16th, I'll be at the Tri-State Veg Fest, Edison, New Jersey. And then June 30th, I'll be out in Chicago at the Vegandale Food and Drink Festival. And yeah, it's, Paul, this is such a busy month for me and for you as well. You got you got yeah. two weekends in a row. It's a little taste of living the Andy life. <laughs> the, honestly, these events are literally one of my favorite things to do in the world. Like top five things to do. So I'm I'm... Andy, I am blessed that you've given me this opportunity. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. So if, <laughs> if you want the dates, deets, and, and info and the links and all that good stuff for these events, just go to Compassion Co. It's CompassionCO.com. And got a ton of events. But hit that, hit that event tab. You'll see everything I just listed for June, everything for July, August, September, all the way through till November when we do the Atlanta Veg Fest. So uh, head over there and, you know, pick up a shirt if you want. But definitely say hi. <laughs> definitely say hi. Yeah, all those events come to the Compassion Company table. And you look for the bright green lime-colored tablecloth and you'll find us. <laughs> Paul, it was really fun reading those judges' words when they were, quote, dunking on PETA. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was kind of bizarre. I mean, it was like a long read, especially the one that was 20 pages long. And you read every single word. But it was all worth it. Because they ended it with the following seven words. We are the Bearded Vegans, signing off. Thus began a bizarre seven-year journey. journey. <laughs> Court of Appeals Judge Eugene Fahey wrote in a concurring... A, con, concurring? God damn it, Paul. Cocooning? <laughs> <laughs> Said restraining the dogs would be... Re retraining. Ex mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> Explained the normal police department's assistant... <laughs> What is I like I I know that normal is a town in Illinois, but I just like that they're like said the totally normal police department <laughs> yeah. assistant chief. Very inconspicuous, no reason for suspicion, normal the hashtag police department. Not a cop police department assistant <laughs> yeah. police chief. <laughs> oh boy. And so the otter um, the otter. Adorable otter. Wrong wrong uh, wrong animal. Slapping on the keyboard. <laughs> We disagree with XXX, you know, YZ, whatever. Yeah, I guess. Oh, that Rush song, XYZ, I, whatever. Um, I, I, I guess. Remember when you said we weren't going to talk about this for a while? And here we are. And it's been 23 minutes. That was a good convo. Yeah. Good convo. Do you I hate, think we I hate need... that I just abbreviated conversation. <laughs> Pot has become legal in nine states. And so far, no math use and euthanized. God damn it. Math uh, euthanization. Math. <laughs> Not a single it, drug dog has been euthanized so far. There's, and there's been no math. Math. God damn it, Paul. <laughs> are, you, are you telling me there was no massacre, Andy? <laughs>